One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the show that leverages music's power to connect us to our lives as the foundation of great conversation. We call it Biography Through Music. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Brent Crawford. Brent was born in Columbus, Georgia, but his family moved a bunch before settling down in Charlotte, North Carolina when he was 11. He considers that his hometown. He and his wife of now 23 years moved to Southwest Florida in 2000. They have three kids, the oldest in college and the youngest in sixth grade. He's been the managing director for Busey Banks Wealth Management Group here in Southwest Florida since 2012. We actually met Brent when he came in to pitch in during one of our pledge drives. We got to talking about music, and the next thing you know, he's here with us in the Three Song Stories chair. Good morning, Brent. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I googled your name, and there are two actors on IMDb and a bunch of other Brent Crawfords, most of which seem to work in the financial sector. What's up with that? I have no idea because my name actually is a complete derivative of my real name, mainly so that I could – my parents, I believe, figured out that at whatever age you had to start actually writing your name. Mm -hmm. There was no way for my real name to be memorized that – by the age of five, and to the point that my name is still spelled incorrectly even on my driver's license, but it was too too random and hard to figure out. Is that a name you released to the public? Well, my full name, <laughs> official name, is Charles Brenneman Crawford, and so Brent, as I said, has nothing to do. It's basically a nickname that was shortened to um, so that I didn't have to spell that middle name for the rest of my life. But ironic, my cousin is named Brenneman, and he goes by Brenneman as a first name. But I've never heard that name before. I figure by the time anybody figures out a way to pronounce it or me explain it, we've kind of moved past the rapport building aspect and already <laughs> into the details. So Brent's, uh, I have noticed that there are more and more people named Brent, which is, is kind of interesting to me. But My daughter, um, we didn't let her shorten it, Guinevere Kala Bortnicker Canary. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, that trumps anything I've got going on. So. Um, okay, so uh, where did you grow up? Your bio says you kind of grew up in multiple places, but um, where did you consider yourself mostly growing up? And how was the musical background of your childhood? How would you characterize it? I um, was a was a child of a father that was back in the day where every two years, in essence, for promotion, he, we would have to move or relocate somewhere. Military. So I, um, started out military, but ended up in the trucking industry. So uh, two years was kind of the, the stint, if you will. Um, I've I would classify myself as growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, mainly because we moved there when I was 12 and stayed there throughout the rest of my years before I moved. But had prior to that, moved um, almost a dozen times by hmm. the time I was 12. So I consider Charlotte my hometown. What was the musical background of your childhood as you bounced around? Well, it was it was very uh, multi random across the board because my parents were um, obviously grew up in a different generation than than I did. And me being born in the late 60s, I kind of was at the point where there was a lot of a lot of different music styles and the like that were either crossing paths or shifting gears. But um, my parents would primarily growing up in the day of the Beatles and that sort of thing 
we didn't have as much music actually playing in our house as it was my mother can play music by ear. And so it was more piano on her part. Um, that being said, whenever we would ride with my father to, to and from school and the like, it was, you know, always just AM radio and um, the typical time period music of that, of that time, Three Dog Night and a lot of those older 70s, 60s bands, but always because of the way it was, not near if there was any edge to it or any even close to profanity the the, the dial would be turned pretty quickly your to, bio said that you to, grew up in a house where rock and roll was considered semi demonic if i could paraphrase so especially now looking back um at those bands that were being classified i don't know if you remember but um i did grow up in a christian school up until ninth grade and that was Obviously, for the Christian aspect, but also just because um, public school in Charlotte was a little different at the time as an option. Um, but I remembered we actually had a class, if you will, in my school that there was a there was a, there was a period of time where there was the aspect of backward masking. I don't know if you remember yeah, spinning yeah. records backwards. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And just any any music, especially rock and roll. Led Zeppelin, ACDC, any of those I found could, from the school I went to, always be twisted into here's why either ACDC, just the title of the band, is demonic, or if you spin this record backwards slowly, here's the hidden message that was meant to influence and create anarchy, all of which ironic made myself and buddies drawn to figuring out if any of that was was actual factual. Did some part of you take that literally and think that might be true or did you immediately try to squiggle past it? Well, it's it scared me to death initially um, because this was, you got to think, sixth grade. So 12 years old, 13 years old. And um, so it was, I'd say, Fear, but then intrigue, yeah. and then the Forbidden desire fruit. for validation <laughs> to see: Can you really turn this record backwards and come up with some kind of hidden, you know, subliminal words that are being said? And the answer is kind of like anything: If you listen to it long enough and start mentally saying that's what they're saying is in there, you can figure it out. But Largely nonsense. You mentioned you had a a, a semi-dysfunctional turntable when you were a kid. Did you and your buddies ever spin records backwards? Well, it was hard on that particular record player to actually spin records because my my parents, um, that was when I was in going into eighth grade. My dad finally, back in the very lean years budget-wise with the family, he went to Sears and gave me, bought me for Christmas a turntable that all in one had the speakers in there and then a little cassette, one single cassette deck, and then the the obvious record player, but the spindle on the record player itself was was missing. Oh. And so between a pencil or anything else that I could fit to put in to place the record on was what how I figured out. So I think by its very nature, not having a spindle I was spinning records very slow to begin with, even if they were in the right direction, because I had a half put together record player hmm. at the time. But that for me was getting the 
the technology, if you want to call it that, that's what launched my, to this day, you know, thousands. Your, your audiophile nature. Exactly. And then, of course, <laughs> technology itself has it grown only exacerbated. That. As you and your friends started, you know, exploring some of the music that may have been considered forbidden fruit, was there any bands or musicians that got your attention in particular? Um, as far as my own personal interests or... Your own personal interest. I would say for me, probably the the very first, while maybe it's not my favorite artist now, but the very first band that um, really I started gravitating to would probably been Queen. Yeah? Just because they were so prominent back then and just, you know, lyrically and musically unbelievably talented. Absolutely. You're uh, you're one year older than my brother, and he was super into Queen from like the time he was like 11 all through until today. Right. So, yeah, that's great. And I... um. You know, some of those, once I was able to have access, like we were talking about earlier, to a lot of the music clubs that they had back then where you'd pay a little bit and get nine or ten records at the time. Once that happened, I just was you know, like a kid in a candy store. I Every every and any band that I was remotely familiar with, I was buying the record for. So it was very diverse. Did you follow up and complete the contracts on those? <laughs> well, deals? I still look over my shoulder from time to time depending on and, and tell that story covertly with as much, you know, cryptic as I can, but I literally at one point I had 5 of those record companies. So if you do the math, it's a lot of incoming records. Yeah, that's like um, that's like forty albums for five cents, right? With the obligation <laughs> of one or two in the next two or three years. Um, I think I only fulfilled that commitment probably one time, and it was going to my parents saying, "I have this legal obligation, right?" And just don't ask questions. This but is I need, the first time you're going to bail me out. Folks. I need seventeen ninety nine. Before we get to your first song, you mentioned your mom uh, played piano. Uh, was there? Did you play musical instruments as a kid? Um, big regret of mine, like everything <laughs> happens, about the time that I started, um, because of age, they all but forced me to play piano because there were free lessons given when my parents bought their baby grand. And that would have been in 1978. And um, so I took the lessons um I would say as good as you can be at that age was was making some progress, but then it it became uncool because of the sports and you know typical things that happen to a son child at that age. But regret of mine because to this day, as much as I love music and it's perpetually all but every single minute of the day in my ears or being listened to, I cannot play one single instrument and between. Piano and banjo, those are two things on my bucket list that I've said I've got to start doing. I'm living vicariously through my youngest son, who's 12. What's because, he playing? Well, he's playing bass um, bass in the school orchestra or symphony. Um, has really gravitated to where he, on guitar, both taken lessons, but also can – I'll mention a song to him, and he'll come down 45 minutes later and somewhat have picked it out. So I'm – Really proud of that, but also he's my 12-year-old, but 55-year-old <laughs> at heart. Gotcha. Um, well, we'll get to, to sports and further into life, but let's do your first song. That'd be great. This is The, uh, the Smiths. I'll give you a little bit of background, a thumbnail sketch, and then maybe something will come to me afterwards. But I, as we've just talked about, um, that record came out when I was in 10th grade, and so I shifted from private to public school 
Um, that was one of the first cassettes I ever bought. And the one particular song that we're getting ready to play was one that I just wore out. And as time went on and mixtapes were created, it was on every single mixtape that ever was made um, with in the midst of friends and a lot of get-togethers that we had. So it uh, means a lot to me and just I can vividly remember even playing the cassette summertime pool with a group of friends and just brings a lot of memories but also incredibly phenomenal song. When you make a mixtape, as you know, where you play songs is something that you have to strategize. Would this be an opener? Would this be a closer? Would this be a middler? I am... It shows your prowess to know that because it used to annoy me there. getting <laughs> mixtapes where there was no rhyme or reason to the to the order. I would generally put that at the very end. It was either at the very end or the very beginning to kind of create the tone in between, but it was always on there. Well, let's listen to it thinking of that. This is Brent Crawford's first song today here on Three Song Stories. It's How Soon Is Now by The Smiths from their 1985 album Hatful of Hollow. So another thing I know about mixtapes is that um, you often made them for girls that you wanted to impress. Mm-hmm. Was that was that Smith's song part of that equation ever? No, that was <laughs> Smith's was reserved for you know Plan B, if you will. But uh, my my wife, ironic as much as I love music, um, when we were first starting to date, I quickly realized she ironically can play, but has virtually no care for listening to music at the level I did. So that was one of our first, is this the right person moments for me. When but did you meet her? We met, um, both of us were working corporate you, well, This jobs. wasn't in high school. Oh, though. no, no, no. Well, I mean, you you must have wooed a girl or two before you met well, your there, wife. <laughs> I will not say that there weren't mixtapes floating around, but um, typically how soon as now wasn't on there. <laughs> okay. Um, so you made the transition from, from – uh, Christian school, private, private Catholic school, or Christian school? Um, it was it was Christian. Okay. Um, not specific to Understood. denomination. Um, you made that transition around the time you were like a sophomore. Sophomore. Your bio school. said you got kicked out. Is that hyperbole? Yes, and that's still no. That's that's <laughs> literal. Um, in in private school, you get at least I did. You get demerits for certain things that you did not do, and so I had purely, uh, you know, innocent normal adolescent getting an ego about you, all that sort of thing. That always happens to everybody and me now being a parent, see in the middle school, middle school arena. And so I started having a degree of success in sports and the like, and everything else that comes along with being 14, 15 years old, as far as your, your impression of yourself capability wise versus, you know, reality. And it was just purely a combination of things that I tacked on, points after points and my last straw was I I got into a skirmish we will call it with um, an older an older student and um, at that point the school just said we're done however I have my entire life I think partly because of having to always move into a new place and after pecking order and friends have been established school-wise I have my parents were talking about this last weekend. I have always and even to this day cannot stand bullies. 
And so by ninth grade, I was big enough, athletic enough, and I was in my defense, as stupid as it was, I was stepping in to squelch an older 10th grader that was picking on somebody they shouldn't have been. And so my dad, at least when we laugh about it, I got kicked out. They asked me not to come back, but at least it was for noble cause. Yeah. And if you get kicked out for doing the right thing, that's not so bad. Right. So what sport or sports were you uh, being drawn toward? Primarily um, basketball was my sweet spot, if you will, and played soccer alongside that and probably had more. um, I was... I was six foot one by the time I was in ninth grade, and um, you know, just just height difference alone, regardless of ability, gives you an advantage. And but I so I focused on basketball, which is what I continued to play when I went to public school, and um, kind of left soccer behind to focus on that. Were you like a power forward? I was. That was back <laughs> in the day. Where now, six foot two, that will be a short guard exactly. these days, and that was probably. Even as I went into college, what I finally realized, you know, I'm, this this is going to go nowhere other than recreation. So I kind of shifted to academics. So what was the musical scene like there when you got over to public school? Was it a was it a culture <coughs> shock having uh, always been in, you know, private school? Tremendous. Not only – and this was literally back when the Sony Walkmans came out and any fabrication of those. I'm not allowed to know if I'm allowed to say brands. But so I went from especially warming up for basketball games. Oh, yeah. Um, Run DMC, Curtis Blow, all of those traditional hype-you-up uh-huh. type bands. In in the midst of some of the songs that I'll even mention, the one we just played, all of that came from I had a really phenomenal um, core group of friends that were all American, but all of them, because they'd in some way or fashion been listening to music freely, I'll say, um, it was a big amalgam of a lot of different influences. But ironic as it is, when I would listen to music before games, not all the time, but one of the one of my primary go-tos was Raval Bolero, as random as that sounds, but also shows you kind of the diversity of everything across the map that I listened to based on mood. But there was Run DMC playing at times, but... Revol tended to be one of my go-tos. And you and had, was typically on mixtapes. And you had the, in your bio, you had the yellow Walkman. I did have the, the yellow the, Walkman. The waterproof, in air quotes. And it was I yellow. I had the same one. And it be, between all the clamps and the like to get the cassette in, it, sometimes a four-minute song would be over with. But, yes, I had... I was on the on the front end of that technology, if you want to call it that. I'm three years behind you, and I played basketball in high school at Fort Myers, and that was the early days still kind right. of of the Walkman. And I can remember the hype, you know, everybody on the bus to the away mm-hmm. games, everybody got their headphones on, those little little foam ear pads that were like, so rudimentary compared mm-hmm. to what we have now. Especially when you sweated. They didn't last too long, but... Wow. Um, music at school, dances, anything like that? All of that. You know, public school naturally had a homecoming and, um, and prom and, and everything else. And there was some that was that would have been the 80s, um, early 80s and then mid late. But there was and there was just so much going on in the in music as a whole between the typical 80s hair bands, the the normal 80s pop and then like the alternative aspect, which at that time REM was would have been con- considered complete alternative, yeah. different from the others until, and I, I listened to a lot of country as well. Huh? 
And you were still in – so you're in North, Charlotte, North Carolina. I was in Charlotte. I graduated. Seems like country would be in the, the ethos Country's, there. Country is big up there. Not – depending on which part of the state or which part of the city, some more than others. But we definitely had – my graduating class was 700. So it was pretty diverse as far as – Wow, that is big school. Tastes and yeah, it was huge. Um, what did you want to do with your life at that point? You said by then you were realizing basketball well, probably wasn't going to be it. Did you have a trajectory in mind? I, I knew, generally speaking, just because my father corporately, um, I knew that most likely business was going to be pretty broad in spectrum with that. But I knew business um, was going to be probably the direction I took. I had, a, I had some interest in law just because I do have family members that are attorneys and the like and um, – but I would say I was as crystal clear as you could be going the business direction when I, by the time I graduated and into college. Where'd you go to college? I went to Campbell University, which is a small private school um, in the eastern part of North Carolina. Their probably their prominence, which is what I all but went directly into, was they have one of the only schools still to this day of trusts and estates hmm. that's an actual degree in the United States. Starting um, as a freshman, you're on that track. Well, there were some family scenarios that I was familiar with some of the terms, didn't know anything about the, the career, but I went into Campbell, believe it or not, started out as a, I said that about business, started out as a pharmacy major with the intent to get my MBA, and my goal at that time was to go to small-town America and open a kind of ye old pharmacy. With a soda fountain. Yes, dry goods <laughs> store and soda fountain. Um, also, because I had a um, – one of my uncles was a pharmacist and huh. had that in South Georgia. And I always had intrigue around that, just the, the atmosphere mm -hmm. and, and aura of that. But I made it through my freshman year in organic chemistry. I quickly realized that um, that was not going to be the direction. So I kind of shifted full to business at that point. Uh, were you bad at statistics? I was good at statistics. You mentioned statistics in your bio, and I want to clarify what you were getting at there. Um, statistics, I believe, in the context was the statistics as far as probability of this happening or that happening, especially as it related in my case to, um, to my health. But, uh, oh, I, did. I see. So this wasn't about the class no, statistics. No, no, no. This was about uh -huh. the stuff you were going through. I somehow – Tell us about the stuff you were going through. Um, physically? Yeah. Well, well I, I mean all the stuff. Well, I started um, – I, I before, just after high school graduation, um, I was two weeks away from actually going to college and been to orientation, and we were ready, bags packed. But I had um, started, which continued to compound, started having some just pains, aches and pains, feeling run down, et cetera, et cetera. All that, all that included my parents at the time – you could attribute to being a senior in high school, running hard and fast, um, anticipating graduation. And I was playing sports, so I was constantly being beat around and, and did kind of manual labor to earn money. So I, I really ignored a lot that was going on physically at the time. And um, finally, making a long, long story short, I was two weeks away from going to graduation, um, going to college my freshman year. And we were on a trip woke up and it was just kind of you hear just the bottom falls out. And for me, parents at that point said, we got to get to the bottom of what's going on health wise. 
So they tested me for everything from mono to um, arthritis to Rocky Mountain spotted fever and the like. And long, long story short, finally, very intuitive and still to this day, phenomenal friend and physician. Um, he ended up figuring out I was diagnosed with leukemia. And the problem was, um, good and bad as there always is, the type of leukemia I had was typically attributable to small children. Um, so it could be treated and cured other than some of the other types that you can get. The downside was because I had delayed and, and had ignored symptoms for about a year that um, I was – the reason when the bottom fell out was my body was starting to shut down, kidneys and everything else that, that starts to happen when a disease metastasizes itself like it did. So I was um, – <clears throat> they immediately started chemotherapy and my world and headspace was in a complete, you know, just just fog at the time to include my family. Um, and at that point is when I started chemotherapy for two years intensive because I relapsed and then two years maintenance. But the reason I referenced and we were talking about statistics was um, at, at some point during that period when I relapsed, um, the physician said statistically you have now, because chemotherapy and traditional methods failed, you have about a 10% chance of long-term remission without a bone marrow transplant, which you, know, you flip that figure around, it's a 90% chance of not ending well, um, but here I am today, forty some odd years later. Did you need a bone bone marrow transplant? Needed a bone marrow transplant. Um, <clears throat> did, went through all of the testing to include my family. Kind of does show you how um, cynically, in some regards, we were talking about the Christian school, but um, I'm not cynical in in my beliefs along those lines. But all of the things, I guess, that become inherent from a spiritual standpoint. Now here I am where I'm literally 10 feet tall and bulletproof, ego that would blow this room out. Um, everything that all of a sudden is stripped away from you so that all you have to go by is the roots from which you came for strength. So when statistics came up, I literally looked at the doctor and said, quoting Mike Ditka, football coach for the Bears, he used to always say statistics are for dummies. And I've always remembered that in its case in point to my scenario because needed a bone marrow transplant, was tested for it, ended up, which is a whole other story, getting heavily involved with the National Marrow Donor Program, <clears throat> never have had a transplant, never could find a match for me. And so I never did have a transplant. And, and you clearly didn't need it. Right. Wow. So pretty pretty amazing story in itself, but um, that period and episode, if you will, completely made me as a person do a 180 to the individual I am today as far as beliefs, as far as um, refinement of truly what's important and what's not to include friends. Everything that you can think of for me did a 180 and – um, kind of hard to say, but what a life lessons that I came out of that in addition to strength that I gained, in addition to full appreciation for things, family that I admittedly did not have at the level I should, all of a sudden that was the only thing I had and 
changed my life. Uh, your your bio said that you listen to a lot of music while going through chemo, and there are certain <clears> songs <throat> that if they come up on satellite radio, will still bring back physical resonances and bad memories. Are any songs that you can mention? Um, Bruce Springsteen, Tunnel of Love. Phenomenal album, incredible you know, phenom as far as an artist and also a really good song. But I could, if you were to play that now, I would start to become nauseous. And that's the kind of the effect of the mind. Um, that was one that was probably the most prominent of few songs because I'm a huge In Excess fan. Mm. Um, a few songs In Excess from the Shabu Shaba mm. album will kind of get me at the verge of you saying you look kind of green. But those are the two, I'd say, primary primary ones for whatever reason that are planted and to this day as good a song as Tunnel of Love is if I hear it I gotta change it and it's not on any playlist that I put together um, any song off of <clears throat> any song off of uh, Kick by NXS will sort of make me feel a little nauseous because that was my <clears throat> non, non-powered push mower lawnmower yeah. music when I was a teenager with my yellow Walkman listening to Kick out in the yard uh, dying during the summer. So similar. <laughs> However, Kick, ironic to show you the opposite, um, after I had gotten into remission and body getting back in order, Kick came out. And um, my parents took me on a trip to um, Phoenix, Arizona, some friends of ours out there, and that album had just come out. And on the positive, that is an album that I could listen to all the time, ironic because of some of the positive mindset that it gives me. So unbelievable, the power of music. Yeah, it's a great album. Um, Did that – Chemo stretch completely keep you out of college, or were you balancing the two things? No, I, um, as mentioned, was getting ready to go to start of my freshman right. year. So I laid out the entire year because it was a, um, I was on a study program. Um, they called them protocols, and it was a combination of drugs that the combination had not been approved by the FDA. So I was a guinea pig, if you will, for that first year. And so it was, it was intensive treatment. Depending on the drugs, four or five days a week for about seven, eight hours, typically at a clip. So I laid out my entire what would have been freshman year, um, went back the following year, and then relapsed that summer. So I laid out a total of two full years mm. of college um, before going back full time. Wow. Well, let's do your second song. Phenomenal. Um, I'll give you a little. This is ironic. So I started my career and moved. The company moved me to Asheville, North Carolina, and um, everything's good. I'm enjoying life up there and got ironic at college. I went to a small school, as I mentioned, but um, there was, of all things, we did not even have a McDonald's in the vicinity of the school, but there was a small, obscure record store that I used to spend all my time and money in. And this was right at the start where you could actually trade records in to get money back. Um, I went into the record store, spent a lot of time in there, and this this local record store owner, as I was thumbing through and got to know each other, he said, hey, check out this band called The Tragically Hip. 
And at that moment, I became an instant fan and time goes on. I graduate school. I'm living in Asheville, North Carolina. A guy that is a suite mate in the apartment building I lived in was from Canada. And he coincidentally said, knowing I was, he and I swapped music ideas. He said, listen to this band. I said, I already know him. I love him. He said, would you believe that they fill stadiums in Canada? Hmm. And I was fixated to them initially because I thought the name was cool and then saw the quality of their music. Did you even know they were Canadian at that point? Not as much at we the time. Have, we didn't have Wikipedia back then. <laughs> yeah, so. there was, you're right. Just between the lack of instantaneous information. So irony as it is, um, he moves and this record comes out and I am – there's a really cool – club in Asheville that was a small, generally alternative bands that they would come through. And Asheville's a very artistic area anyway. I look on the billboard. This was also before notifications on phones. I'm passing by on my way to the office and see on their billboard, Tragically Hip, playing Friday night. I kid you not, I could not get one person to go with me (laughs) to see them. How big was the venue? Um, It probably at maximum capacity. It was a little place called Be Here Now. Um, it's now called the Orange like Field. like a venue in Asheville. Right. <laughs> it probably at that time, maximum capacity would have been you know, maybe 150 people. It was small. So I couldn't get anybody to go. I go to the show by myself and said, I'm going. I'm standing there by myself. And, I, and also, I kid you not, there were a maximum in that venue that night for the entire show of – myself included, no more, and I might be stretching 30 people. So they they didn't even get close to filling a 150-seat-per-person venue. When they fill stadiums in in Canada. So the bus was parked literally at the front door, and I'm standing there. They get off the bus with a huge puff of smoke following them off the bus – Come out, get on stage. This was not special effects. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Um, I'm standing there and very few people. And this song, Gord Downey, who's now now passed away, he gets up there and very charismatic lead singer anyway. He gets up there to the mic after they're getting ready to go. Knowing that maybe the last place they went was a stadium full, there's 30 people in this little venue, and he he gets up there and looks out and says the name of the club, be here now, huh? And then he looked around and he said, that's kind of funny. And immediately this song started, which made me even bigger fan to this day. Just the, the irony as well as the, you know, impromptu nature of the guy, and this is the first song they started out with. Well, let's listen to it as Brent is in Asheville at Be Here Now. This is Grace 2, T-O-O, by the Tragically Hip from their 1995 album Day for Night. It's Brent Crawford's second song today on Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. So uh, there were 30 people there. Presumably they were all big fans. Or big enough fans. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt of that. Were you the biggest fan in the room? I can guarantee you in my mind and just based on antics, I was. Antics? Um, Antics as far as – You're giving the door – In the moment, jumping around. Yeah? Yeah, there was was no rhythm involved. It was purely just 
as you can see, and and I'm obviously biased, but songs like that and bands like them are have, have a little bit deeper levels to them, and it's easy to you just get caught in the moment and let your body flail, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, You've said you've seen them again. Have you seen them? You saw them since then? Last time I saw them, and the lead singer, unfortunately, developed a pretty aggressive and um, quick form of brain cancer and passed away, I believe, three years ago now. But um, while he was going through treatment, I guess they were doing their their final tour um, and culminated, at least in the United States, in Boston, Massachusetts, probably my favorite large city in the United States. And so I... A friend of mine that lived in Boston who had never heard of them, I said, I'm coming to town and my treat, we're going to see this band. And in that venue, it was packed. But um, that was the last time I saw him and had seen him a few times in between, just get, random places. Did you get a chance to meet him that night there in no. Asheville? It seems like a small enough venue. If you wanted to, you probably could have wedged your way in. I've thought about that 5,000 times just because of how small the mm-hmm. group was and um, – I, I did not wish I had, but I did not. Did you wind up in Asheville because there was a job there, or did you wind up in Asheville because you wanted to live where the artsy hippies were? Because it's kind of that's fair characterization. You're right. Least, you know, no, I don't definitely, know. and has become even more so. Yeah, I, yeah. The the company I was with started out in banking. I've always been in banking my entire career. They, um, the the modus operandi at the time was you finish school, have a training period in the headquarters, which then was Winston Salem. And then they would, after six months, they would, there were four of us, they would look for where offices were open and then kind of inquire of you and go from there. But I'll never forget, I asked, growing up in Charlotte, I intentionally wanted kind of the opposite of big city. So I said, you have an, you have an offering in Asheville, I'd like to go there. And that was as opposed to they were taken, well, you're from a big city, so we want to put you in Atlanta or somewhere else. Um, and I said, no, I really want to go to Asheville. They said, well, we're going to have to contemplate this. So it, it went on. And I said, why are you all taking so long to make a decision? And they said, well, we're very concerned. This is exactly what they said. We're very concerned because you're single and Asheville is not known like you've been accustomed to by no means a big city. And we're we don't want to lose you as an employee because you'll be bored stiff. And if you're trying to find somebody to marry, you're not going to have near the opportunities. This is exactly what they said. And I just told them, I said, well, why don't you trust me with this decision? And if you want me to stay, I think Asheville would be where you need to send me. And I stayed there for 10 years. Um, but it, part of the draw was at that time just because it had – more of that eclectic, bohemian, artsy type atmosphere, which um, has only gotten better over the last 20 years that we've been gone. Um, and th- is that where you met your wife? No, I met my wife. She was back living in Charlotte at the time, and we were set up on a blind date by her former Sunday school teacher that kept twisting my arm, saying, I need you to, I need you to meet this girl. And that might be an original sentence. You're she exactly was, right. Was, <laughs> You're right. So you met her and then you brought her back to Asheville. I met her. We were married for um, – she was also born and raised in the kind of traditional southeast and was living in Charlotte. Her father was uh, at that time president of a 
of a university in North Carolina. So she had really tight, close-knit family-wise even. Um, we married, met, dated for nine months, um, engaged, married the following year. And we lived, if you've ever been to Asheville, incredibly beautiful. But there's a major resort called the Grove Park Inn <clears throat> that the street called Macon is old homes, beautiful homes, and, of course, just that area in general. My wife and I had been married for six months, and we were walking one spring afternoon. It was kind of like here in March, Chamber of Commerce. And I'll never forget, she said, I'm only saying this because of the bank you're with and where they're so prominent. She said, I will beg you, just please consult me heavily before you accept a job in one of two places. And only because she'd never been to either, but only because of headquarters. And I said, well, what is that? She said, the first is New Jersey, and the second is Florida. And six months later, we were living here. So <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> but uh, And I've been here, been here ever since. We moved here in 2000, um, 2001. Before we move to here, let's go back to there. Um, during your time there, you must have seen quite a bit of music. Seems like that's a cool place to go see stuff. Can you reflect on some of your concert experiences? It was generally um, most, other than the tragically hip ironic, it was, it was mostly at that time um, more local, in majority of the cases, alternative bands, some of which I couldn't even remember it was the local the music scene. Local is what music, you're very to. heavy local music scene. And the only thing I can figure out as to why and how tragically hip was the the owner um, at the time of this play of this club. Um, he was very incredibly connected in the music industry as a whole, and I think he probably pulled a favor. Oh yeah, and of well, course it's a cool were, city to visit right. if you if you're into that kind of thing. Right. I mean, they might have just been like, yeah, well, of course we'll stop in Asheville. That's cool. Exactly, down. but it was largely. It was largely local, more local bands and heavy folk influence up there. Um, and you never picked up a guitar? That would have been your chance right It's then. a regret of mine. I still – my bucket list is probably – I'm sure they're one and the same when I cross over, but probably either to take lessons from my own 12-year-old on guitar, but I've, I want to pick up a banjo at some point in the near future, just a matter of doing it. You just got to uh, – I, I play a number of stringed instruments, and the, the guy that taught me, he didn't really teach me. He was I had a roommate who was really good at guitar. And he said, Mike, just get a guitar, set it on the couch, pick it up for 15 minutes every day, learn a chord, play that chord, do that every day for a year, and you'll be able to play the guitar. Yeah. And I was I, like, okay. So I did that, you know, and, I, and then that was 20 years ago. Well, I need it's, it's it, a little harder with a point, banjo and a family. <clears throat> that's what I understand. And, and for me, if it's banjos are a little abrasive, complete. Ex- <laughs> well, I think uh, if I, I the way I figure is I could somehow even if it's just a few chords on a banjo, if I can figure that out, mm-hmm. then my family will will go along with all the other nonsense jangling that I'll try to figure out. But for me, it's just an excuse. I just need to do it. Um, uh, did you get into art, um, personally speaking, while you were in Asheville in terms of making art? Are you an artist on any level? Um, I am more more um, painting and drawing. I never could even conceptually understand pottery and some of the others. But, yes, I've been, I have been personally, I'll say, hobby doing art since I was a kid. And parents would send me – we had a unique situation in Toledo, Ohio that was one of our stops where uh, – 
professor at the university during the summer, she would get some of the neighborhood kids together and teach an art class once or twice a week. And so my parents would send me to that. And throughout my life, I've always had an interest in it and always done it. But um, some of the various art forms I am horrible at and just the way my mind is works, I can't figure it out. Pottery being one of them. Um, but uh, primarily just drawing as well as painting. Um, you said you didn't really see any big acts come through Asheville, but over the course of your life, have you seen many concerts, any, any peak concert experiences besides Tragically Hip? I have seen um, a lot of concerts um, as many times and was fortunately only able to see Tragically Hip um, a few times, but um, seen YouTube and listening to YouTube and, and any time and every time, sometimes twice on the tour, wherever they were, would go. To, to see them, um, saw Tina Turner, believe it or not, back back in the day with Earth, Wind, and Fire mm. and um, Neil Diamond front row. So it's kind of – it's been very eclectic and, and vast as far as who I've seen and what Fort Myers used to. And one probably one of the best shows I've seen is um, here in town when Cheryl Crow – you probably remember back, back in the day when she came through. But um, seeing Noel Gallagher – in the flying high flying birds a couple times that is probably one of my the best shows I've ever been to um looking forward to him getting back out he's just put out a new record and I'm sure he will but so I I I um both country and rock and roll as well as even some classical I've gone to see what brought you guys to Fort Myers? Or or it, uh, did you come first to, I guess, Florida is the question. Was it Fort Myers right away? Um, Fort Myers specifically and directly. Um, my job at the time, I was actually recruited down. I was with another company in North Carolina at the time and got a phone call out of the blue from um, with a need with a bank here and told them that this was kind of directly correlated to when my wife and I had the conversation we did being newly married and um, when she said notify me well ahead of time if it was Jersey or Florida, was that because she didn't want to come to Florida? Yes. It I, was I, only, since it's on a list of two with Jersey, yeah. I was assuming. That. Well, and so nothing negative at all. It was purely because – and I even asked her, I said, so Florida, have you been to anywhere besides Disney World growing up? And like most people, especially the West Coast, um, we had – she and I had been to Miami, so a lot just as for fun. And I think it was for Florida, just strictly her, what she knew and, or didn't know at the time. New Jersey was because she, she was in pharmaceutical sales for a while and had spent some time up in New Jersey training wise. And I think just negative biases in her own mind that had nothing to do with the merits of the two States. But I was recruited, recruited here, um, took about a year and a half. Some of those conversations, my wife was not aware of until the very end when it looked like it was serious. And I give the manager at the time, who to this day is still a dear friend of mine, despite me leaving the company, um, he out of the blue called me and said, you've admitted yourself, you've never been here. Um, I did not know and had never been to Fort Myers literally before we moved. He said, I'm going to send you two airline tickets and a hotel room for the weekend. You and your wife come down Check it out. And he said, you can't make an educated decision without all the facts. And that was in March. So weather, 
as opposed to the It was our gray, little three weeks of San Diego weather. <laughs> gray, dreary in the mountains. And I said, man, who's going to say no to that? We came down here, loved it, went back up. and Did um, she know you were coming because it was a job hunt yet? Yes. Okay. At that point, it was full disclosure. <laughs> it's like, and, honey, I won tickets at a raffle. <laughs> and I literally said, they're sending us to – they're sending us a free trip for the weekend, and it's gray and dreary and 40 degrees in Asheville – and 75 degrees in Chamber of Commerce. So we did that in March. And then, ironic, my start date was in August, right when a tropical storm was getting ready to come through. And I always say they, they conned us, but it's worked out worked out well. And that last, was 2000, 2001? 2001 when we finally moved. 2000 when we started discussions. And you've been here ever since. Been here ever since. And three children later. And um, it's it's been a really good 23 years, 22 years. Do you see shows here in town besides like um, I'm, I'm aiming at like Barber B. Man, like music? Used to theater, go to a lot of the like plays. Um, love, love the plays. Um, we actually have got got tickets to see Hardy coming into town. So as many and depending on the shows that come through, um, also very sporadic. But yes, we have we have gone to numerous shows here since we've been in town. Hmm. Uh, let's do your third song. Sounds good. This um, a little bit of just trivia, if you will. Also with timing, I and and I've talked a lot about sporadic. I was in some training at a conference in St. Louis, Missouri, and this was this was right after right after nine eleven, two thousand one, and I was with three other people, also with the same company, in training in St. Louis, and we went to dinner after work. Went to dinner at someplace downtown St. Louis, and I noticed this pretty prominent restaurant was largely empty. And we sat there and ate, and I finally asked the the wait staff, I said, I'm surprised this place is so empty. She said, it's probably because of the show in town. And I said, well, who is that? Meanwhile, I had seen you two since, as we talked about back when I was, this was in the 80s, late 80s. And she said, well, you two is playing at the hockey arena. And I looked at the other three, similar to as I did with Tragically Up, and I said, I'm going to that show. Don't have tickets, but if you all want to follow, please feel free. So miraculously, I went down to the front of the hockey arena, and scalpers were out there. I just said, if if I get ripped off, I get ripped off, but valiant try. Ended up getting probably the best – ticket for you two that I've ever seat-wise been. Um, and it was incredibly special because of the spontaneity of it, but also right after 9-11, you two were so, um, I mean, just patriotic for not being citizens of the United States. And that permeated through not only the entire crowd, just because of the emotions that were flowing <clears throat> but also Bono in particular did an incredible tribute, not this song, but um, the, the song One, where towards the end of the show, I believe it was the encore, he took his jacket, took his leather jacket off, flipped it inside out, and it was American flag, and hung the jacket on the mic while they played the song One and then scrolled all the names wow. of folks who had passed away during 9-11. And I tell you what, for – I mean, there were thousands. I bet you 75 percent of that crowd was 
was crying by the time that song was over with. So also in the spirit, a lot of, lot of correlation to the songs and memories, that for me will perpetually stand out. And just, just the way it was done, <clears throat> not, um, not plastic or rehearsed, but very sentimental. And this song was one that was played during the concert, but the concert as a whole was why well, I figured I'd give testament to one of the songs that was played. Well, let's listen to it. Imagining that. This is uh, Brent Crawford's final song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. This is Elevation by U2 from their album All That You Can't Leave Behind, released in the year 2000. You said that was after 9 11. How, how long? Was that rel- relatively short after 9 11? What I'm getting at is, did you fly up to St. Louis on an empty plane or a nearly empty plane? No, but it was. Nobody flew for a while there, you know. It literally, I'll tell you how how shortly after it was because it was just where TSA was kind of, you remember, and rightfully so, they, it, it all of a sudden became regulated and monitored and was just, was kind of overkill now in hindsight just because they were trying to get it figured out so i just remember how rigorous it was trying to get through the airports at the time and literally you had to get there with st louis two and a half hours three hours ahead of time so it was it was that quick after september um and i remember it was cold so it was probably i bet you it was early december when when this concert was performed and um even while we were talking earlier you know you still to, to have been there, it was very emotional. And, you know, the more you think about it, just that whole time period and everything was going on. And to have a such a prominent band like that that's not even from the United States that did what they did, they had already sold all their tickets, was yeah. that, that, you know, gave them a medal in my eyes just for the effort. Yeah, that was a definitely a um – you know, just t- you know, just you talking and me thinking back into that time, that was a really intense time. And you're right; that's exactly when everything changed in terms of how we interact with airports. Yep. Uh, so, any younger youngins out there, you didn't always have to take your shoes off, etc. Exactly. Um, and I flew to Seattle for Christmas that year with my new girlfriend, who turned out to be the mother of my daughter. Um, and it was like we were like basically on a plane that was 20 percent full. And yeah. It was really weird. It was weird times. I do remember it was surreal all the way around, but um, you know we've that's it won't ever go back to the way that it was. But um, it's it's you know now it's become the norm and everything is com- completely comfortable. At that time, it was not because, as I said, it was just the the world and TSA were trying to figure it out and have done an awesome job in between. But it was very soon after nine eleven. Which made it more powerful. Um, we're going to start a speed round in just a little bit, but a couple questions. Um, do you and your wife's musical tastes align? I know you crossed this a little while ago, and I think you said that not the, at that all. You, that you did, okay. And I'm the guy that. Um, is there any place where there's a Venn diagram or country two separate circles? Country, definitely. Um, and I'd say she probably, she, despite as refined and classy and everything that you wouldn't expect for a country music fan that's that's probably her primary primary choice on satellite radio when when we're driving or going somewhere but she's um she's very, especially in the classical arena very well versed um we just <clears throat> she just doesn't listen to music constantly like I do partly cuz I I drive all the time and I'm traveling all the time and 
between those two things, it makes it more conducive to constantly be listening to some form of music. Um, and then you mentioned you have three kids, two kids? Three children. Three kids, two of which are just listening to what's popular because they're not really that into it. One that's an old soul. Have any of them introduced you to music? From time to time, my daughter will say, listen to this song. She's a sophomore in high school at Fort Myers. And from time to time, she'll say, listen to this and it'll, it'll catch. But, um, the youngest, as I mentioned, is an old soul from a music taste standpoint. So he's any of the band, he, he tends to listen to and buy records of music that you and I have heard for many, many years. It was pretty cool for him to find it on his own and then say, and I say, man, that's one of my favorites. Is he finding that like on YouTube and just Spotify and just, you know, I guess, you know, kids these days have access to everything. YouTube because he, he, in addition to his formal music lessons, he will look on these kids are so much more sophisticated technologically than Mm -hmm. we were. But so some of it, YouTube, yes, he'll, he'll find something or listen to something. Um, The other two are more kind of what they hear in and around. Hmm. Okay, it is speed round time. Are you prepared for a speed round? I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm I'm all for it. Well, this is where we throw in all the weird questions. Okay. Um, do you have a nickname that has stuck over the course X-Man. of your life? X-Man. X-Man. And there's a story behind it, purely innocent. You're taking the speed round seriously. Yeah, you beat was, me to it. That was easy. <laughs> what, what's the story? Well, my, uh, my mother, back in the day, were the check you had to take to the bank to get cashed, whether deposit or the like. My mother wrote me a check, and she the way she writes Brent, when I went to the bank, of which a friend of mine was working, um, the teller would not cash the check, and I asked her why, and she said, this is made out to X-Man Crawford. And so I went back, same group of guys, one of whom worked at the bank, and that was Your a, mom's handwriting was so bad she made Brent look like X-Man? Very neat, but it, <laughs> it looked like she said X-Man. And so to this day, that group of 15 guys still call me either X or X-Man to the point that one of the wives, he kept referring to Brent. And she said, who in the world are you talking about? And he said X. And she said, I didn't even know his first name. So there you go. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, are you a karaoke-er? No. Never? I'm the guy that um, was mortified at his own wedding reception and birthday parties. So no karaoke for X-Men. Um, so probably then, other than freaking out at Tragically Hip, you're not no. a dancer. No, not a dancer. <laughs> you know where whatsoever. I was going. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm too uh, not a dancer, period. Too self-aware? Too self-aware and also cynical. Hyper self-aware. Cynical of the people that I've made fun of that are gutsy enough to be out there. Uh-huh. And I don't want to be that guy. So I'm completely wrong in that thinking. But think that's the way it is. That's that. right. We're fist bumping. So we'll stand on the wall together. And <laughs> um, If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter to? Um, probably Welcome to the Jungle. Guns N' Roses. What would your wrestler name be, X-Man? Yeah, who's your favorite X-Man? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I, I I didn't watch, believe it or not, as much of the X-Men as I'm a huge Avengers guy. Okay. So. You look, talk this way. Huge Avengers talk guy. Talk to him in your head, not in um, his face. <laughs> Wolverine, probably on the X-Men side. 
All right. Wolverine coming into GNR. Um, <laughs> if you were a cocktail drink of some kind that represented your essence, what would it contain or be comprised of? Uh, rum and Coke. Rum and Coke. If you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times? Whoa. <clears throat> One of the tragically hip um, or how soon is now. What activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? Well, we talked about art. Um, I used to and still just don't have the time, but I've got that on my list. Um, I could start something, and that used to consume my Friday nights before my wife and I got married, that I would start something, even during the work week, start on something at 10 p.m., and next thing I knew, it would be 3 in the morning and have music playing just the whole vibe. I could lose track time very easily. Song you wish you could hear again for the first time ever? Mm. Jive Talking by the Bee Gees. Wow. Good answer. Pulling from the vault on that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Album you wish you could hear again for the very first time? Trouble in the Hen House by the Tragically Up. Um, Any songs you'll avoid listening to because either you just can't stand them or you don't want you know like what they remind you of. I guess we've alluded to that with your chemo songs. Definitely, definitely that. Boy, that, that's a tough one other than the obvious answer that I gave you. Um, I, that's, that one stumped me. Okay. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet in a collective moment, what song would you choose? I'd probably say Elevation. Um, do you still listen to albums? Let me reverse it. Can I, can I change my answer? You bet. Phone a friend? I would say back to what, I was, what we were talking about, um, Bolero by Raval. I think if, and especially even the length of it. Um, in total, forget a short version, that would be probably there, a song that everybody, regardless, if you don't appreciate that and don't like it, regardless of what you typically listen to, then something's wrong. You're putting a flag down on that one. Yeah. Um, do you listen to albums? Mm-hmm. So you still listen to songs in order on a, you know, instead of just piecemeal, I guess. You right. Know? Any albums you want to always listen to straight through? Well, I think the Neil Young, Neil Young Harvest, as we talked about, um, and I think it's it's because he's got Harvest and Harvest Moon with Old Man. Um, for me, it's really easy for me, especially some of the old '60s, The Doors. There's a lot of artists and bands, despite how good they are, the the entire album is it's hit or miss songs. But I've always found with The Doors. Um, that you can listen to the entire album is not just the greatest hits and still still be really good. I listen to a lot of Doors. I did yeah. a lot of traveling in my 20s, and, man, I would go through those Doors albums. Mm-hmm. Something about them. Same way. Um, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? 180 degrees difference, different in the positive. Hmm. Any advice you'd want to give to that 180-degree different kid? Yeah, I would say that it's it's hard to fully grasp 
in an adolescent mind, but so as far as any kind of forethought, I think is becomes ac- accidental as far as what you do today and the impact that it could have two years from now. Between that and also just your friends as you might describe them are probably not the true type of friend you need and will realize down the road. I did 150%. Good answer. Good advice. Any um, or um, it's time for you to recommend your three people. Um, by name? Yeah. The first would be the goal is for them to listen to what okay. we're doing All right, right and they here were. Now. I was going to let them. Uh, Lauren Nossett. She is um, my cousin by marriage. Her husband um, just passed away a year ago, tragically, just only six months after they had gotten married. She has just um, – she was a college professor, signed a two-book um, book deal, just put out her first one um, in October, has her second coming out in November. Incredible writer um, to the point that she was able to quit teaching as a professor at various universities around in Germanic studies, but crime thriller that's fact-based. Huh. Um, I'm going to recommend her mainly because her husband who passed away – was my youngest cousin and um, is was at the point where music you can pull up, had written for various artists and was at the point in the industry where he wasn't having to perform. He was able to, I guess, the, the monetary stream was supporting what he had to do just to let him write. Um, died tragically and um, she is one that still to this day is like a sister hmm. and we – ping each other, bounce music ideas, and, of course, incredibly proud just of the book, her her author phase that she's in that's probably going to exist in perpetuity. So That's, that's great. That sounds good. Um, Lauren Nossett, Justin O'Hare, um, works with me in the office, also one that he and I are constantly talking about music, but just in deep, deep character, has, has got a um, story of overcoming involved, um, like me with you two and some of the others, self-professed, has seen or saw the Grateful Dead multitudes of times. And then the third would be Clara Stokes, who is in Richmond. How soon is now? I heard for the first time by her recommendation when we were 14, 15 years old and has always been Old soul as far as knowing music, very vast. Um, so I would recommend her, actually. That sounds good. And don't share this with that guy's name. Yeah, who I you just took I, I'll talk to him later this afternoon. Just edit, uh, edit that out. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Brent. I'm glad. I mean, we went back and forth making this happen over some time. I'm glad we finally did. Um, it's been nice getting to know you better. Do you uh, have any final thoughts for us? This has been an absolute pleasure. And as I said, I, it was the hardest part for me was taking, you know, all the probably millions of songs that are out there and calling them down. It was I could have done 30 for 30 as uh, as much fun as this has been and also an honor for me if if that's the proper adjective to do this and I've got a lot more songs. If you ever want to have me back, I'll raise my hand right now. We have a rule against it, so you can't. Okay. Uh, but this was great. I'm bombed. Thank you. Thank you all both. This has been incredible. But I know y'all wanted that 808K.
For this week's parting tune, I'm pulling out one of my own song stories. It's actually the second time I've used it. This time, I was recently re-watching The Wire, and A, good heavens is it amazing, and B, this is just proof of how all this works. There's this one scene when this song, The Way You Move by Outkast, was playing on the radio in an SUV some of the Barksdale crew were tooling around in, and even though only a second or two of it are audible, I was immediately transported back to the couch in my old friend Dustin Hapley's house back in the early 2000s as we sat around playing Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2000 on the PlayStation 1 because an instrumental version of it was the main load screen tune so we heard it over and over and over while sitting around having fun. One blip on the screen in 2023 pulled up a trove of memories of good times just like that. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Keep listening.